Welcome to F1 Coffee Corner, Full Beans. I'm your host as always, Terry, and I'm here to keep you up to date with all of the unbiased, hard-hitting Formula 1 news. So grab your favourite mug of coffee, sit down, strap in and get yourself comfortable to join in the conversation. Because this is F1 Coffee Corner. This is Full Beans, the must-have podcast for all Formula 1 fans. Welcome to this week's episode of Full Beans, the podcast with me, your host, F1 Coffee Corner, Terry. Apologies, it's a bit late. That's because we've had car launches. And to be honest, I've been away for two days because not only did I sneak off to Silverstone to see the W15 on track for a Valentine's Day surprise, but I've also been at the RB20 car launch in Milton Keynes. So if you want to know more about this and also what to look for next week with preseason testing, stay tuned because I'm going to tell you all you need to know on this week's episode. So sit down, strap in, and let's give this week's episode some full beans. So we have now had all 10 car launches and they have varied in terms of what we've seen. We've seen lots of renders. We've seen lots of blacked out parts. We saw McLaren dropping their livery earlier, then following up with a car launch on Valentine's Day. That didn't really look like a car launch. We've had secret shakedowns. We've had very public shakedowns. We've had no shakedowns at all. We've had some glitz and glamour parties. We've had teams not even showing theirs live. And we've also had teams just literally dropping a video and that be it. So, yeah, car launches aren't what they used to be back in the old days. Um, starting to sound old now, but back in the old days, you launched a car. Now it is a livery launch. It is done for the sponsors and for the media and to give everyone those new camera shots of what the car will look like in terms of the livery, not the cars itself. And yeah, I'm kind of pleading with people at the moment to just, you know, bear with us. Yes, we are making technical assumptions based on the renders and what we see. We all know that those renders won't be what hits the track in Bahrain. We know these renders will change. But you know what? Yeah, some of us are tech geeks. Some of us are really excited. Some of us just can't help ourselves. And it also gives us an idea to which direction the teams have taken in their development. And in terms of you know the launch and the data that we get, we can also tell roughly who's made some big changes and who hasn't. So that's why we get excited about it. So whilst I appreciate that, a render is not going to be the car on track, as many people point out in the videos. It is a good starting point to build up some excitement for the season and just to have a look at you know, where some teams have changed their development and where some teams may be headed. And with that in mind, what am I looking forward to after the car launches? What's on my mind when we hit the, the track in Bahrain next week? Well, I'm going to come on to that in a bit, but what I want to talk about is I want to talk about how on earth I ended up in the crowd at Milton Keynes for the launch of the RB20. Um, it is quite an interesting story. So about a week ago, I had an email literally from Red Bull and it literally just said, would I like to attend the RB20 launch with my dad? Now, naturally, I jumped at the chance. There was no way I wasn't going to get this one ticked off my bucket list, a car launch in itself. Last year, we were very lucky. We got invited to Aston Martin for a IAM event, which was celebrating the launch of their AMR 23, as it was last year, down in London. So we weren't at Silverstone for launch. We were at basically a Peroni sponsored party, which beamed it live, and we got to meet some great members of the team, got to see launch on the big screen. So whilst we were part of it, and it was amazing, we didn't actually see the launch itself. So to actually go and see a live launch was was pretty special. So obviously I said yes to this. Now, as part of this process, if people have been to these things, they understand this. You sign a non-disclosure agreement that says you can't talk about it 
before a certain time and date because they don't want it leaked. Um, as we all know, that didn't happen. I'll come on to that part in a minute. But yeah, so we signed this agreement, which basically said we couldn't confirm our attendance. We couldn't say anything. We couldn't obviously talk about it in any way, let alone give off location details, anything like that, because they wanted to keep that secret, which is totally understandable. Um, some people get a bit annoyed at that. I personally, I see it as, is their rules. And if that's the rules they want to employ, that's absolutely fine. Some teams go to a bit more degree than others. I've worked with a couple of Formula One teams now. And, you know, some teams are, you know, really strict on it. Some teams are a little bit more relaxed on it. I think it's the right word I'd use. But then again, it's up to them. It's their team, their data, and their information they want to share. So I don't think that, you know, as as guests, we can be in a position to sort of, you know, comment either way, whether that's good or bad. That's just how it is. And so we had a non-disclosure agreement, which meant that we can basically talk about it or post any pictures of the day until after the launch had finished yesterday, which... um was you'd finish, I think, 8 p.m. I think they said it was by the time it had all been streamed and everything. So the launch finished at 8 p.m. And after that point, we were free to sort of post our pictures of the day. And that brings me on to the next point, because, again, this is where the difference in creators versus guests versus media, all these things come into play. So we were invited down to Milton Keynes. We headed off down there. Like I said, we went Thursday. We went via Silverstone because we knew that W15 was being shaked down on Silverstone track. And I also knew it was in the afternoon. So... It was on the way down. There was no reason not to do it. So we, we were heading to Milton Keynes anyway. So we popped in, jumped onto the balcony of the Hilton Hotel, saw the car coming around. It only did a couple of laps, but it was enough to see W15, get a couple of um, videos, a couple of pictures. And obviously just talked to some Formula One fans who had gathered there. There's quite a few on there, actually. And it was good to just you know sit there, have a drink and, and chat Formula One for a bit with some fellow fans, that's for sure. And then obviously we headed down to Milton Keynes because we had quite an early start and so rather risk it and getting up at silly o'clock um, with Dad and I, because Dad is my plus one for all things Formula 1, as everybody knows. Um, we decided to head down there the night before and stay overnight so that we were about sort of 20 minutes away from, from Milton Keynes. So we did that, got up in the morning, headed off to Milton Keynes. When we got there, standard procedure, you sign in, get, get a lanyard, and get given your instructions. So because we were guests, so it was split into two separate entities, basically. You had guests who were obviously... And competition winners invited people from Red Bull, just basically fans um, who Red Bull have invited. And then you had selected media, accredited media who have been invited also by Red Bull to cover it for their various channels. Um, and this is where it kind of goes off in two directions. So if you're an accredited media personnel, you can basically keep your phone with you and take pictures and be part of the afternoon, which was um, interviewing the drivers and the team with selected slots from from Red Bull themselves. If you're like us, where actually you're, you're fans of it, you had to have your phone covered up, where basically you had a sticker on the back and the front and putting the seal back, so there's no way you can leak anything beforehand. So like I said, you know, some people kind of were a bit disappointed by that. I myself, do you know what? It's an experience. It's their rules. It is what it is. Um, so we then went to watch the launch itself with Red Bull. Um, obviously, you heard from everybody on stage that everybody's seen on the YouTube video by now. So literally, yeah, what you've seen is what we heard. Um, saw the car launched. And then that was pretty much our day over, to be honest. All the media came after that. And, you know, that was done separately from from us. So our day finished. And then obviously theirs carried on with their interviews and their photo opportunities and their talking and that sort of thing. So that's pretty much, you know, a car launch. And when I say it's probably more designed for delivering the media because it's it's 
in terms of experience, it's definitely there for the media to talk to the drivers, to see what a new car looks like, to see what a new merch is going to be, to get the promo shots, to get the sound bites and infuse, to really get all that sort of stuff before pre-season testing starts. Now, obviously, with pre-season testing now being in Bahrain, a lot of these news outlets aren't going to be over there covering. Um, a, lot, a lot of it is done kind of remotely, I think, these days as well. I don't think everyone goes over to Barcelona as it was then or certainly goes over to Bahrain as it is now to cover pre-season testing. It, it can be done remotely with someone watching it at home, obviously, and, and listening to the media, that side of things. So I think this is a good opportunity for the media to talk to the drivers, talk to them face to face, get an idea of, you know, their where they are for the season. Obviously a lot of interest in Christian Horner. And um, he was there. He was, you know, business as usual, very much so. Um, would I say he seemed indifferent? It would be hard to tell because I don't know him normally. Um he seemed to an- answer the questions that were given. He didn't seem um I wouldn't say he didn't seem worried because I think anyone in his current situation would be worried, no matter you know, whether they're innocent or guilty. Naturally, it's their, their li- livelihood at risk. So they're going to carry a degree of sort of worry and stress on their shoulders. But he certainly didn't show it in terms of, you know, being at the forefront of Red Bull's presentation, that's for sure, which was obviously celebrating 20 years in Formula One with David Coulthard there as well. Um, got to meet Adrian Newey in the car park, which was just mind blowing to just meet the man himself, who is undoubtedly the go-to Formula One, was was pretty special. So yeah, some some really good memories, and um, you know, really want to thank Oracle Red Bull Racing for the opportunity to invite us down because it was special. It was disappointing to see it leaked online in the afternoon, if I'm honest. Um, I hope that that person gets the consequences that they should get for leaking it. And um, the instructions were very clear not to put anything out. Um, it could only have come from someone who did have an accredited media pass because like I say, if you were a fan, you had it covered up. So those photos had to have come from somewhere um, to do with the media, whether or not it was leaked through a party or, or whatnot. The original photos had to have come from someone who got media accreditation. So I genuinely hope that, you know, there's some you know recourse for that. And it's really frustrating as a creator who does news trying to get, you know, my channel was recognised as an accredited media, as a form of an outlet with these Formula 1 teams. To see something like that happen, it's really disappointing because all it does is put teams on a lot more guard and makes access for everyone a, you know, a lot more difficult, which is not what we want. We want access. We want people to be able to share the news and, and share all of this information that comes from the Formula 1 teams because there is a lot of information. And it's only right that there is competition for that information in terms of different platforms and how we share it. It's not all about any more picking up a paper or picking up a, you know, turn on the TV. We're showing that, that, you know, mainstream media has to now cope with the fact that there is this, this form of media in the form of short form videos and social media platforms coming through because it is here and it is popular and it is ever growing. And, it needs to be recognised by Formula One and by the FIA and the teams itself to some degree. That is now a form of media, is now a form of audience. And whilst I appreciate that's got to be vetted and it's really hard to do that, I also think that there are some great creators out there who, you know, deliver news, deliver facts, deliver all, all what's going on in Formula One, all from be it as a hobby or from be it as, you know, uh, unpaid. And they deserve to be able to give you opportunity to either, you know, get something back in terms of attending events or become accredited media so that they can go on to do better things. I think there's a real massive market out there for mainstream media to, to get on board with creators. And I think we're seeing teams kind of shift their change in how they, they, you know, treat, treat Formula One creators now. Um, I'm hoping it continues. 
I've certainly had nothing but positive experience working with the Formula One teams that I have now. And yeah, they've been really great. The the teams that you meet are really good. Um they're they're really open to questions when you when you ask them, you know, what can I do, what can't I do? They tell you and like I say, that's pretty cool. At least you know where the line is, so you don't overstep it. Because the last thing you want to do is do something that that jeopardizes, you know, working with the teams in the future. So ultimately, by knowing the rules and understanding the rules and asking questions, you make sure you don't fall foul of that, which to me is common sense. And like I said, someone didn't, and I hope that that person is found out almost and, and sort of paid the price because then it might just mean that it's an individual and the rest of us won't suffer in terms of access. But yeah, that was our, our invite to the RB20 launch. It's It was nothing glamorous. There was no you know sort of secret contacts and things like that. It was a genuine invite, um, one I was absolutely stoked to get. It was only sort of two weeks ago I was talking about how I didn't have anything planned as such. And now there seems quite a lot going on. So um, we had that one. We also, if you follow my, my social media, you would have known that we're going to Williams for a race day experience. Um, this come about, we booked tickets for the Heritage Night that they were running. Um, that's a big Formula One fan. And yeah, they've got all the old cars there. They've got the museum and they were running the Heritage Evening where you could go around the museum, go around the Heritage Workshop, have a free course meal and listen to all the stories from the gentleman who's worked there for about 30 years in terms of the heritage of Williams Formula One team. And obviously it's in the factory itself. So naturally we signed up for that one um, because we didn't have anything planned at the time. Now we were disappointed to get an email saying that we couldn't go, but then equally sort of elated, as I said on my video, that we got an email saying, would we like to upgrade our, our ticket for the heritage evening that we didn't go to for a race day experience. So we're going to go there for the Bahrain race day, which is going to be pretty spectacular to watch yeah the first race of the season from the Williams factory that's for sure certainly can't wait for that one so yeah in terms of launches what have we seen and like I say there's been so much talk about renders there's been so much talk about what's coming what's not coming things that have kind of got my interest ready for next next week and pre-season testing um I'm really intrigued to see how stake f1 go obviously no longer got the Alfa Romero partnership moving more towards Audi trying to help them they James Key on board they've made some changes there car including suspension Really intrigued to see how they go. Obviously, you've got Visa Cash App RB taking a lot more Red Bull parts now and um, running the same suspension as Red Bull. Yes, they can't buy the aero parts from Red Bull, but if they've managed to get the aerodynamics right on that Visa Cash App RB, they are going to be a force to be reckoned for. Now, we don't know if they've taken actually RB19 parts or RB20 parts. Um, it doesn't tell us on any spec list you get. It just says where they're getting those parts from. So they might even have the more up-to-date stuff. But either way, the RB19 was certainly no slouch. And even if they took last year's parts, they are going to be a force to be reckoned with if they've managed to get that aerodynamics right. Now, we know that they you know, changed a load towards the back end of last season with the floor, ready to compensate for this change to Red Bull. It was a, it was a conscious decision to do that last year with, with the cost cap and bring upgrades very late in the season. So they're ready for it. Um, who else am I looking forward to? Ferrari, only team apart from Haas to be running a different rear suspension. Um, I've been looking at push rod and pull rods. And if I remember, Ferrari are running the pull rod suspension, whereas everybody else apart from Haas is running the push rod rear suspension. If I've got that the wrong way around, I apologise. It's definitely one way or the other. And I'm pretty sure it's, it's that way around because everyone else has got the push suspension in terms of the rear suspension. So I really want to see what Ferrari have been cooking over in Marinello. They... They seem quite confident, but then the Italian media always is during the winter break. It's something that always happens. Um, we always get this this yeah, massive noise around Ferrari and kind of 
where they found gains and what's going on and how they're already developing next year's car. And yeah, so I really can't wait to see what that one comes out with on track. Obviously, we've got Carlos Sainz in his final season with the news of Lewis Hamilton going. He's going to have a point to prove. It needs a drive. It's going to want to put himself in a shot window. He's no longer going to want to play second order to Charles Leclerc, which is going to be a fascinating insight into the start of Ferrari's season if they've got a quick car, if they've got on top of that tyre degradation that hampered them last year. If they've got a quick car and Carlos gets out of the blocks flying, yeah, there could be some fireworks in Ferrari. They really could. Um, in terms of the other launches, McLaren are hiding a lot of stuff. I'm excited for the McLaren. Now, McLaren are hiding and airbrushing the floor out and airbrushing bits out. Um, Lando Norris has been very open about it, saying, why would we show our hand early? Yeah, what's the point of that? We want to keep it secret as long as we can until we hit the track in Bahrain. The other reason they want to wait until then, because new teams can try and copy it. So that's the other reason why. Okay, they might be able to bring it a few races later, but you're going to have that advantage locked in to start off with. The teams that when they're out in Bahrain, are not going to be able to replicate and test parts straight away. So if you've brought something that is revolutionary, it's going to be a while before the teams can actually put it onto the car. So I'm really intrigued to see what um, McLaren are doing. They are quietly confident. They sound a lot more confident this year than what they did last year. Obviously, took the wrong development route on their floor last year, and they paid the price in the opening races. So they certainly seem a lot confident, and they've got an amazing driver partnership in Lando and Oscar, let's be honest about it. Um, and I'm sure one of those two is going to be winning races this season in, in that McLaren MCL 38. That's for sure. Mercedes. Mercedes are a team very much in transition. We've got the James Allison car, the first car in his new era. It's hard to not get excited. The team don't look excited, if I'm honest, from the launch. Um, they, they, they look far from excited. I'm excited to see it. Yeah, we've got that change to the rear end of the car. We know that they've gone to the to the push suspension. We know that it's it's a whole new package on the back designed to make it behave a lot more better, which is something that yeah, the W13, W14 didn't do very well. It looks like Lewis has got his wish in terms of the seat being moved back slightly by about 100 millimetres um, from what we can judge from from the renders and the, the fixed points of the car, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just waiting for that to be confirmed. And we've got this, you know, this news which is interesting with this regulation that's, you know, clearly sort of designed to push the boundaries. I wonder if they're playing a bit of tactical game with us. I wonder if they're trying to hide some of the gals, um and putting his nose on on there straight away for everyone to see to kind of detract from some it. It's a classic Mercedes tricks, but I'm not sure we're in the world of Mercedes tricks anymore. If I'm honest, um, those days seem to have been gone. The car launch was. The dynamics were all wrong. Obviously, on the back of Lewis's news, it looks a very forced car launch, if I'm being honest. Um, went straight in. I mean, we had the countdown, then literally there was the car. Literally just stood there. Uh, no no hanging around on that one. And then even on the, the sort of filming day, only did a couple of shakedown laps. Nothing of any consequence whatsoever. Nothing of any sort of um, where we can gleam anything off it. So I'm intrigued to see how that one goes out on track to see what James Allison has been doing. And interestingly, they've gone more of a Red Bull side development and Red Bull have gone more of a Mercedes kind of development without, they have, it's not the same as what the W14 beat was, but it does take a lot of, you know, inspiration, I'd say, in terms of what they've done with their car from the W14B, which was a shock when the covers come off that RB20 yesterday in terms of the bodywork and 
how they've done the inlets and we don't quite know what the inlets are looking like yet. Does it look like it's got a, you know, two inlets at the front, including a, a vertical one with an S duct in it? It would be my guess with a very small one at the top for, for radiator purposes. That's what I'm thinking. Um, but until we see it on track, we don't actually know. We know that Red Bull notorious for not showing us their car at launch. They're very open honest about that one. We had the Aston Martin launch. Now Aston Martin, a, a team, who were very quiet this year. Not a lot of noise coming from Aston Martin. Um, either way, if I'm honest, we know they've taken that Mercedes rear end that they had last year. So they've got that brand new push suspension gearbox kind of combination, which hopefully they can work with. But they seem to be quietly going about their business. They seem to be quietly sort of, you know, just moving on with things. So I'm really intrigued to see what they've come up with. I'm intrigued to see what Dan Fallows has managed to do with that car and to see if they have managed to make that step up or whether or not they're going to be a team which made that slip last year, but kind of plateaus out. Alpine have made changes to their car, almost yeah, everything apart from the steering wheel. They're saying he's new. Um, in terms of their performance, it'd be interesting to see how they go. They, they're obviously hampered by these engine performance issues that they've got. So they asked for the equalization where they could do development on their engine to bring it up to the same level as everybody else. But basically the FIA said no, based on all of the other team's feedback. So they're running at a deficit in terms of horsepower. Um, last year, I think it's about 30 brake horsepower, if I remember what they're running behind on. So they're, they're in, they're a team which, which needs some good results, I think, to keep Pierre and Esteban, obviously. Um, I think the Renault board will want some good results as well, because if not, they're going to start questioning how long they continue with Formula One. We've got Haas, say, doing two shakedowns before Bahrain's testing, saying they're in trouble towards the back end of the grid, um, which kind of makes you a bit worried for Ferrari, if I'm honest, if they're taking a lot of parts from them. But hopefully it's it's an isolated one. Um, Williams look look like they've got a car which could be a lot more aerodynamic rather than just a fast, straight-on-speed car, which they've had for the past few years. So it's going to be interesting to see what James Vowles with a full season behind him and a full winter period is done on that one. And and yeah, you know, all of the others looking forward to seeing them on track, you know. But like I say, that rear end of that Mercedes is one that's that's really got my attention. What Red Bull bring is going to bring everyone's attention. And just what's hiding on that McLaren is the other thing that, that I think's pricked my conscience in terms of what, what's going on. The next part I'm going to talk about on the podcast is around preseason testing. So grab a coffee, let's go. So pre-season testing starts next week. Three days. I want to say Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, off the top of my head. Three days. Now, for those who are new to pre-season testing, because I appreciate there might be some new viewers and some new watchers. So pre-season testing is over three days, 10 till 7 Bahrainian time. And you are only allowed to run one of your two cars on the track. So you can't run both of your cars during during the session. So what the teams tend to do, they tend to mix up their drivers. So there's a variety of ways you can do it. You can either get driver A does day one and driver B does day two, and then you share it for day three. Or like has announced, they're doing morning, afternoon, then alternating morning, afternoon, then alternating again morning, afternoon. So in essence, the drivers will get one and a half days of testing each. Um, which Fernando Alonso has been very vocal that isn't enough. He's been very vocal that it needs to be a lot more. And he's also been vocal this week on why can't we have two cars on track when both of the cars are in Bahrain, they're both packed, they're both ready to go, they're both sat there. So actually, why do we only run with one car when we've cut down testing? So testing shorter this year, 
we obviously no longer do two tests. We just do the one. So I kind of get Fernando's point totally. He's saying, why on earth don't we just have two cars on track and let the drivers just have three full days of testing? He did himself um, a lot of it last year with obviously um, the injury to Lance Roll. So from a driver point of view, they can do it. And likewise, you could just manage it if you need to. So I do I do get this point and I do think it's something that we need to look at going forward because no reason why we can't have you know 20 cars on track rather than 10. We do it for practice sessions, so testing is no different. Now, what are they looking for in testing is the big question. Now, the one thing to remember, when the teams go pre-season testing, they've got a set run plan. They know what they're doing. They're not normally affected by things that happen on the track. The only time that they're affected by it is if there's something which eats into their time or there's a reliability issue or there's a red flag that that you know wipes out a little bit of time. They, they tend to go with a predetermined plan. And no matter what the other teams around them are doing, they want to look at that predetermined plan and make sure they've covered everything on that rather than worrying about what the other team is doing. Yes, they're going to be having a look at the other teams. Yes, they're going to be interested in, in lap times. But in terms of be on end or that's not what they're there for. And they don't normally adjust to compensate for what the other teams are doing is, is probably the point I'm getting at. So what do they look for? So the first thing they're really looking for is reliability of the parts. They want to run these parts, you know, lap after lap after lap, because ultimately these parts are the first time they've been put together as a whole. They've been designed separately in in the factory, in the little silos of the teams. And it's one of the biggest times they've actually been put together and put on a car. So they want to run and make sure they've got no problems. They want to make sure all those gremlins are gone, that the data is doing what it's doing, and that they want to make sure that actually it's reporting what it should be reporting. Now, that's what you see at the start of a session. You always tend to see a car do a lap and go out and come back down. That's what we call an install lap. So what that's doing is that's just going around, checking all the circuits, checking the telemetry is working, checking the data that the garage need is there. And then they come back in and make sure it's all okay before starting their runs. So you quite often see that in practice a lot. So if you do see a car that literally just comes out, does a lap and goes back in, that's the reason why they're just checking everything on it. They want to look at the error analysis. They expect the, the big error rates, which are the ones that go on the sides of the car and, and stick out depending on what part you're testing. Or, of course, the flow paint, which is the, the bright, luminous orange paint that you see painted on the side. And the purpose behind that is as it goes around the track, it blows the paint in, in where the airflow is going so that you can see exactly what's going on. Now, the teams are not big fans of the Flovis paint because it also shows all of the other teams what your aerodynamics are doing, whereas your aero rates don't, they, they collect the data on a computer rather than it being a visual one. So expect to see probably more aero rates from some of the teams than, than flow, flow glow paint. Oh, I just say that faster. So yeah, expect a lot more of that, but expect to see that paint at some point. That's got to be on somebody's bingo card if you haven't already got it. Then they'll be looking at the tyre performance. So the whole point of the aero is there, just test the parts, make sure it's collaborated with the wind tunnel, make sure it's doing what it should be doing so that data that they're getting is what the wind tunnel's doing. And then they know that they're on the right track in terms of development, that whatever the part's doing in the wind tunnel should then be transpired onto the track in theory. And if they want to try anything new, it gives the FIA a chance to you know, have a look at it. And yeah, a bit like Mercedes from from wing to say actually whether it's legal or not, they, the FIA will, will do their checks and have a look at things and the teams can talk to them and clarify and that side of things. Then after they've done the area, they're going to be looking at the tyre performance. Now, this is quite straightforward. 
They obviously know what lap times around Bahrain are. They know how to compensate for fuel loads. So they will be looking at the tyre performance. They'll be looking at short runs, long runs, heavy fuel loads, light fuel loads, different compounds. How does this new car affect those tyres? And they'll be gathering all that data using the historical data that they've got to basically come up with how they think the car's going to handle the tyres and the performance, especially with Bahrain being the opening one of the season. System and operational checks, like I said, exactly what it said. They'll just be running through stuff. And drivers might be asked to do different settings on the engine, different settings on the steering wheel, just to make sure that everything's working as it should be, especially you know when they're going to do things. So you might see a bit of that going on as well, with drivers being told to adjust stuff. Um, pretty standard, that's where it is. And setup optimization, which is again, you know, getting ready for the for the Bahrainian Grand Prix, getting ready for the race weekends. So they start off with the floor quite high, they tend to, then you'll see that gradually come down to see what, what that does to the performance. And obviously, as we get near the, the normal ride height of a car. So don't be surprised as you know, teams running running different different strategies, different setups, testing things on different days, depending on the driver, depending on what they wouldn't do. The weather might play a part in that one as well. But I say you can't take the times into consideration as such. The times will give you a benchmark. They give you kind of like a feel of where, where we're going with pre-season testing, but you can't really sort of sit there and go, right, yeah, Ferrari were the fastest in pre-season testing, so they're going to be ones to watch. However, the teams can make these calculated guesses. They can kind of change the data to to manipulate what it would look like on a race day because obviously they've got that historical data to look at, especially with the regulations being the same as what they normally are. So, yeah, that's really it for pre-season testing. Obviously, we then go into the first couple of races back to back. Um, there are Saturday night races. Um, so just be careful of that on your calendars. If you are planning to watch the first two Grand Prix, don't get caught out from that one. If you go on to Formula One, you can download um, a calendar that syncs with your calendar on your computer or your smartphone, which tells you exactly when the sessions are. I would recommend doing that because it is quite handy to, to have. And it did catch me off guard when I suddenly remember that the qualifying is on a Friday, but it's not a sprint weekend. It's just brought forward for the for the first race because obviously um Ramadan's going on in the area, so they're gonna race on Saturday night rather than take it into Sunday like they normally would. So just double check that. Um Formula One have now released like all of the start times for the Grand Prix, so hopefully that app will get updated and it should be the most up to date sort of info you've got. While I'm talking about apps, um, shameless plugs of obviously Fanamp, who I'm partnered with again for this season. Super excited about what's coming on for that one. You can find all of the latest news or the latest timings for sessions on there, live chat. Go onto the app, have a look, download it. If you get any problems, links in the bio to download Fanamp or just search Fanamp. Um, I've got a couple of videos pinned as well, which show you how to do it if you do get stuck on it. But loads of creators on there ranging from news creators like yourself, comedy, fantasy, Formula One, which we're going to come on to in a minute. So loads of great different creators who you can go on. You can drop into their their either their live chats that they run alongside races. Fanam do their main one as a live chat as well. So you can go on there and join the other one. They do meetups at Grand Prix as well. So you can meet fellow fans. Absolutely loads going on on the app this season. I'm bringing you on to Fantasy Formula One. So I've once again teamed up with Adam and Rob, the Fantasy Formula that we're going to bring you before each qualifying session. So Rob and Adam are going to do their midweek one where they talk all things fancy formula and what you should be looking for. Then on the Saturday or the Fridays, it may be, but basically on the qualifying day, just before qualifying, an hour before qualifying, 
all three of us will be live where they'll be bringing you the latest fantasy Formula One news and I will be bringing you all of the latest technical news in terms of upgrades so that that can hopefully help you make an informed choice on your teams and just help you hopefully, you know, win two paddock passes, which is an amazing prize for Fantasy Formula 1. We have got our Fantasy Formula 1 league on there as well. So if you just search on leagues for Fantasy Formula, join that one as well for a bit of competitive spirit. And like I say, you know, head on over, follow these guys. You know what they talk about in terms of Fantasy Formula 1, you know, Fanamp's got some great stuff. I'm really excited for what this season's going to bring. Really excited to be partnering with them. I'm going to be doing some more stuff around um, technical stuff, coming to Fanamp as well. So keep your eyes out. Will naturally still be doing my own, so don't panic anybody. I'm not deviating it off. All of this is running alongside and complementing it. So, you know, your normal yeah, F1 Coffee Corner service will be there. Um, just going to be busy, that's all. So I think that's all I've really got time for this week. I wanted to make it a short one because I'm going to be back next week with testing. Um, I'm probably... I'm either going to do one mid-testing or do one at the end of testing. I think I might wait till testing's done and do a review of testing. So I know the podcast only drops earlier. This one's obviously later because of the car launches. So just keep your eye out towards next weekend for next weekend's podcast. Because um, I'll do a roundup of, of pre-season testing, I think, before I drop a podcast and then it all changes. Like That tends to happen recently. So keep your eye out for that one next weekend. That'll come and... Really appreciate you listening. If you do get a chance, shameless plug as always, hit that subscribe button, hit that share button, follow button. Um, if you can give it a rating, please do so. If you can share it or leave a comment, please do so. The more the podcast gets these sort of positive reviews, the more it gets bumped up. Um, ultimately, it's me and my shed, so I genuinely appreciate any help and support I can get with sharing this podcast with people. So, you know, if you want to share on social media, tag me in it whatever you want to do, but I appreciate everyone for listening and I appreciate you for tuning in and I will see you next week with a review of preseason testing. We're finally there. The winter is over. 2024 is a go. What a season it's going to be. And I don't just mean that because people talk about Red Bull domination. What I mean is, you know, the excitement of a new season's here. Yeah, we're ready to go. Someone's going to make a gain. Someone's going to make a difference. Someone is going to upset the apple cart. It's just who and whereabouts on the grid they're going to be by the time they finished. See you next week. Have a great week. <laughs>